0: Only kidding it's right over there, but we have other productions i I guess going on' We're getting ready for the uh, Christmas pageant, and so uh, we've gathered here this evening uh, for the study of god's word. let's take a moment to make sure we are in fellowship because uh, sin is a barrier, it keeps us from our relationship to God, and so in his wisdom, and his grace, he has provided the method for us to get back in fellowship because we are sinners saved by grace. And that provision is found in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I'll give you a moment for silent prayer and then I will open in prayer. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we have gathered here this evening because we love you. We want to worship you, and we want to know you. Uh, Your scriptures reveal yourself to us. Help us to understand them. Help us to focus our attention on what is being said, what is being taught, so that we can know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We ask your blessing on our time together this evening. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so we've been studying. Well, I've been uh, going through a series on the book of Joshua, and we've gone through uh, many lessons. We are now coming up to the end, or near the end, of the uh, third section of the book, which is the division of the land, the promised land that God promised the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that uh, section runs from chapters 13 through 21. Today we're going to pick it up in uh, chapter 19 as we uh, continue to uh, go through the verses and and look at what is going on. A little bit of review. I'm not going to spend a lot of time, as I have previously and other times, uh, going through the uh, what's already been taught. But uh, Let's look at the division of the Promised Land. Uh, The Israelites have removed the military threat, and they had begun uh, apportioning the land to the various tribes. Now, this was done by Lot, as Moses had commanded, and we'll look at that a little closer uh, in a bit. But... uh, At this point, after chapter 18, six of the tribes had already received their allotment. Um, There were still six more to go. Now, last time, uh, we realized that there were seven chapters, and we did the allotment to the tribe of Benjamin. And at that time, uh, Benjamin and the other six tribes had been uh, camped out at Gilgal and hadn't been eager to take their, their allotment or to force the issue. And so uh, Joshua had to come to him and say, how long are you going to stay here? camped out. God's given you the land. Let's go for you to go and take it. And so it's a good lesson for us is that sometimes we think we have to wait and wait and wait. But uh, sometimes there's a time to respond. God had already given them uh, their orders to conquer the land and subdue it. And so uh, they were They weren't really in obedience to God because they were uh, delaying their uh, taking possession of the territory that God had fought for and led them to uh, victories. Okay, so let's see. So we're going to look at tonight the six remaining tribes in chapter 19. That's verses 1 through 51. Um, You can follow along in your Bible. I'm going to present an outline. Unfortunately, the projector's not... We don't have that, but uh, I'll read it off, uh, what we're going to do. And then uh, chapter 20 is the allotment of the cities of refuge. So let's let's continue looking at this uh, division of the land. The six remaining tribes are going to get theirs. And we read back in Exodus 23, God had said, because this had been a long process. If you go by Caleb's uh, chronology, it was at least seven years from the time they crossed the Jordan until uh, they began allotting the territory, and so God, because God had said, "I will not drive them out." This is Exodus 23, verses 29 and 30. If you want to follow along over there, Exodus 23, 29 through 30. God says, "I will not drive them out, speaking of the Canaanites before you in a single year, that the land may not become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. I will drive them out before you, little by little, until you become fruitful." and take possession of the land. Now this was an accurate assessment because uh, 400 years later, David is still protecting his father's flock from lions and bears. And forgive my voice if it breaks up a little, still getting a little over a little bug I had. But uh, this was a real uh, challenge that uh, the wild animals could overrun the territory if it wasn't duly possessed. And so we we read that in 1 Samuel, David having to defend his flock from uh, the bear and the lion. Um, I had a map on one of the slides that really shows, and you may remember it, it was the territory that Joshua and the tribes conquered. But that map showed just a a portion of the promised land. Uh, There were still many areas that hadn't been uh, taken yet because... The mission was just to destroy the strongholds in the, in the land, not to completely annihilate everybody that was going to be left up to the individual tribes. So unfortunately we don't have that map, but uh, maybe online, Jill, for you viewers online can check that out. Uh, give you a quick breakdown of Joshua chapter 19 and outline. The, the first section is found in verses 1 through 9 is Joshua chapter 19, verses 1 through 9, is the allotment for the tribe of Simeon. The allotment for Zebulun is in verses 10 through 16. The allotment for Issachar, verses 17 to 23. Asher gets his portion doled out in verses 24 to 31, followed by... The allotment for Naphtali and 32 through 39. The allotment for Dan, the last tribe, verses 40 to 48. And then there's an inheritance given to Joshua himself, the leader of the uh, conquest, in verses 49 through 50, followed by a summary statement in the last verse, verse 51. So I'm not going to be spending a lot of time going through the... Uh, Territorial boundaries as they're described in, in the text, um, mainly for time's sake. If you want to get an accurate picture, I mean, obviously there's going to be some uh, question as to some of the markings and markers and uh, landmarks that are referenced there, but uh, that's a challenging study. But uh, you know, I'd like to just go through basically the, the areas that they uh, did, did uh, a lot to each tribe. And then, we'll, then we can move on. So the allotment for Simeon uh, is taken from a part of the land that was already designated for Judah. If you look on a map, Judah is given a large portion, portion of the sec- southern part of the, of the territory. And within that allotment, uh, land was given to the uh, tribe of Simeon. Now the reason, and one reason uh, I was reading and learned that uh, this was, this took place this way is, is go. Let's go back to Genesis chapter forty-nine. If you want to turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter forty-nine, this is Jacob's farewell uh, pronouncement upon each of his sons, what would happen to them. And so in verse forty-nine or chapter forty-nine. Verses 5 through 7, we, we have the uh, dual blessing. If you want to call it a blessing, it's not always looked that way. But uh, for Simeon and Levi, these were uh, the second and third sons of Jacob. And verse 5 says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. And we you can read about that in uh, Genesis. But Let my soul not enter into their counsel, Jacob says. Let not my glory be united with their assembly, because in their anger they slew men, and in their self will they lamed oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. And here's the, the, the important part I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Now we realize. Early on, the tribe of Levi wasn't going to get a territory for their inheritance because the Lord was their inheritance. They were, and we're going to get to it in chapter 21, they were spread out throughout the land in cities. They didn't have a territory. They just had cities to live in. And so uh, Simeon also is part of this uh, dispersion uh, revelation. And so they are uh, encircled by Judah and as a tribe, their identity is pretty much lost very quickly. Um, there's a couple of references in Second Chronicles. Uh, if you, you could check them out in Second Chronicles fifteen nine, and Second Chronicles thirty four six, where it talks about Simeon, Simeonites being uh, aligned with Ephraim and Manasseh, which are in the northern part, were given territory in the northern part of the, of the country, of the land. And so it seems that they were dispersed from their original allotment uh, in fulfillment of this prophecy of Jacob to his sons. And that's just a, a thought, maybe explains why uh, we hear of the ten tribes of Israel, because if Simeon was still in the south with Benjamin and Judah, it would only have been nine in the north. So there, there may be some, something to this theory uh, that the ten tribes included, Simeon. But like I said, their their allotment was within the boundaries of of Judah, Judah's portion. Now, let's move on to the next tribe, the allotment for Zebulun. So Jacob's prophecy concerning Zebulun states that he will dwell at the seashore. You can find that in uh, verse 13, Genesis 49, verse 13. He will dwell at the seashore. However, when you look at most maps of the allotment that is given to Zebulun, it appears to be landlocked. There's no uh, coastline, per se. Um, There's a couple of of theories that there may have been a small strip of of territory on the south part that went and extended all the way to the Mediterranean. Um. there is a river, I believe, that goes in the south part of the territory of Zebulun, which is located on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. But it wouldn't take much if there was already a river there for them to have allotted a space on both sides to uh, fulfill this prophecy about the seashore. Uh, like I said, it's, it's up in the air. There's not really any firm dogmatic statements on, on these borders, but It's possible. Now, the uh, territory included the city of Nazareth, but that's not mentioned. And there's a city mentioned in verse 15 of chapter uh, 20 of Joshua. Let me read that. It says, included also were Katah and Nahalai and Shimron and Adalah and Bethlehem. Twelve cities with their villages were given to the tribe of Zebulun. But that is not, just so you know, that's not the Bethlehem where Jesus was born. Just make that clear. Jesus was born in a city, the Bethlehem, that was south of Jerusalem in the tribe of, uh, in Judah's territory. So that's just something to uh, to remember. I think I forgot to mention that uh, Simeon, uh, they received 17 cities and their villages and when we look at these uh, allotments, we have to realize that they're based upon uh, population of the tribe and the quality of the land. So that's why some territories look much larger than others, but we don't know what the land looked like. We weren't there. And, uh, but they had scouts from all the tribes uh, categorizing and qualifying the land. Okay, so that's Zebulun's territory. It's it's rather small compared to Judah and Manasseh, but uh, most of the other tribes were smaller. And uh, it was located west of the uh, Sea of Galilee. All right, now, the allotment for Issachar. Hold on here. So Issachar's allotment was located east of Zebulun and south of the Sea of Galilee. And it included the Valley of Jezreel. Now, if you read your Old Testament a lot, that's a very popular location in in the Old Testament. A lot of things happened there. It was where uh, Gideon defeated the Midianites uh, during the period of the Judges. Also where Saul uh, fought with the Philistines and ended up uh, uh, shortly before his death on Mount Gilboa. But uh, very fertile valley, very beautiful valley uh, that runs along you know, east to west. And so it's also, uh, we read in, uh, in uh, Kings that uh, that's also where uh, when Elijah uh, had the showdown with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, he ran to the Valley of Jezreel uh, ahead of Ahab's chariots and outran him, as it says in the text. Naboth's vineyard was also located there. So it was very fertile and very very desirable place to live, and that was allotted to the uh, tribe of Issachar. Now, as I've gone through these first three of the six uh, tribes' allotment, Simeon, uh, Zebulun, and Issachar, these were... uh, I'm ahead of myself. Simeon and Zebulun, and I believe Issachar too, right? Was they were uh, all sons of Leah, if I'm not mistaken. Like, Issachar might have been a uh, anyway. Uh, but God goes in order; that uh, he, he deals with the uh, sons of Jacob's first wife uh, here in this section before the sons of the uh, handmaids. Joseph's uh, sons had already been given their allotments by chapter 19. Okay, so that is the allotment of, of, uh, for Issachar, the, uh, the Je- Valley of Jezreel, south of the Dead Sea, and border- bordered on the east with the Jordan, and on the west by uh, Manasseh. Next up is the tribe of Asher. That was... uh, found verse 24, the fifth lot. So Asher, their territory runs uh, on the Mediterranean coast. They get the coast from Mount Carmel all the way north up to near Tyre and Sidon, uh, up, up along the coast there. And about halfway to the Jordan, is their territory. Now, this is a very strategic position. I mean, they had the responsibility of, of guarding the coastline from any invading uh, sea peoples, such as the Phoenicians, who were very pro- prevalent at that time. And uh, so they had, a, they had a strategic position. Also, being on the coast, the uh, opportunities for trade across the Mediterranean was very great. So they, they had a desirable... Uh, Territory allotment. And unlike Simeon, where it appears they got swallowed up, the tribe of Asher seemed to remain intact even to the time of Jesus in the New Testament, because we are told in Luke chapter 2, verse 6, that Anna, the prophetess who met the baby Jesus at the temple when he was uh, dedicated at the temple, she was described as being from the tribe of Asher. And Asher received 22 cities in their villages. If you want to look at the populations of the different tribes that was found in the book of numbers and we covered that earlier in this in this study. So Asher gets their allotment and then the following that it's the the sixth lot fell to the sons of Naphtali and that is a tribal area A second, that was west of Asher, between, the Medi- between Asher on the Mediterranean coast and the Jordan River uh, in the north was uh, the territory of Naphtali. Uh, so they had the Jordan as a border and then their brothers on the west side. While this area really had very little uh, mention or significance in Old Testament times, uh, this did change radically uh, when Jesus began his Galilean ministry. Uh, They had uh, the area around uh, the Sea of Galilee was controlled by the uh, tribe of Naphtali. And we can uh, read about that if you want to turn your Bible to Isaiah chapter 9. We'll read that prophecy. Because they were overrun in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians, so they didn't have a great... uh, period of prosperity before they were conquered due to their own sin and rejection of God. But in verse 1 of chapter 9 well let's go back in in chapter 8 verse 22 we read this is a prophecy of of gloom in chapter 8. Then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness gloom and anguish and they will be driven away into darkness. Not a very good uh, future uh, For this territory, it says, but then verse 9, or chapter 9, verse 1, But there will be no more gloom for her, who was in anguish. In earlier times he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on he shall, as God, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation, you shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. So we, we see that there was an opportunity in, in the future for the blessing of the land of uh, Haftali as, as Jesus began his ministry there. In, uh, as we read in Matthew chapter 4, verses 4, 14 through 16. So Naphtali, they received 17 or 19 cities in their villages. And then finally we come to the allotment for Dan. Dan is the last tribe to be mentioned in the chapter. Let's go back there. So the territory allotted to Dan you could look at it and you'd say well that was probably the least desirable plot of all. It was very small and it was bordered by Ephraim to the north and Judah on the south, the two dominant tribes at that time. And remember uh, Caleb is a uh, descendant from the tribe of Judah and Joshua is from the tribe of Ephraim. So those two tribes are sandwiched above and bl- below uh, Dan and Dan lost their possession to the Amorites, as we read in Judges 1, chapter 1 of Judges. So it's not very long before they uh, succumb to uh, a foreign invaders, and they lose their, uh, their territory. They end up moving north, most of the uh, Danites, and they conquer a city called Laish that's way up in the north. Uh, if you know where Mount Hermon is in the land, very, very at the northern extreme of the Promised Land is where this city, Laish, was, called, was found. So afterwards, after they defeated the, the residents of that city, who were Amorites also, but uh, secluded from any uh, protection or treaties from other you know, Amorite tribes... Uh, So they fell to the Danites, and then they named the city Dan after their forefather. So 19 cities and villages were given to Dan. That includes Laish. But they lost most of their inheritance in the south uh, because of their rebellion. And when you read the book of Judges, you, you get a better understanding why they departed from the Lord. They didn't stay faithful to him. Okay, so... Let's move on. Finally, we have the territory allotted to Joshua, and this is found in verses 49 to 50, where we read that when they finished apportioning the land for inheritance by its borders, the sons of Israel gave an inheritance in their midst to Joshua the son of Nun, in accordance with the command of the Lord. They gave him the city for which he asked, Timnath-Sarah, in the hill country of Ephraim, So he built the city and settled in it. So the the text says Joshua asked for a city, and this is a very humble city. He could have had probably any one that he wanted, but graciously chose a small city in a very rugged uh, area of the land. I mean, this is mountainous and hills, hill country, so it's not really suited for farming. It's not really suited for raising livestock, but that's what Joshua asked for humbly, and it uh, he was, he was given to him, and he built the city up there and, and lived there the rest of his life. Now, it makes you wonder that he probably was looking for another challenge. He, he was probably like Caleb, who didn't want to just retire on a beach and play golf. He wanted to keep busy, do, do something, build something, continue uh, striving and serving God. And it's kind of funny because in the Bible, there are very few men that are both a general and a builder. But Joshua is described here as a builder, as well as being the general who led the uh, Israelites in battle. I mean, when you look at King David, he was also a man of war, led his, his countrymen in battle. But he wanted to be a builder. But God said, no, you're not going to be the builder of the temple. Your son will do that. So he was not al- allowed to be the builder. Uh, but Joshua built a city, and he lived there the rest of the days of his life. We'll read about Joshua's uh, concluding address to the nation uh, at the end of this book. But uh, for now, uh, he wanted to stay busy. He wanted to live and do things and not just retire as so many of us do today. All right, so that's the completion of the allotments. In, In verse 51, we read, These are the inheritances which Eleazar the priest... And Joshua, the son of Nun, and the heads of the households of the tribes of the sons of Israel. So he had all these elders working together to evenly and unbiasedly uh, distribute the land as God apportioned it. Because it's all done by lot. So they, there was no uh, human bias or human uh, trickery involved. It was all done out in the open. Uh, the sons of Israel distributed by lot in Shiloh before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting, so they finished dividing the land. Okay, so the land is now divided. And so we look at what a great uh, accomplishment this is that God fulfilled his promise to give the land to the descendants of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's fulfilled here in Joshua chapter 13. 19, the land is given, but as we're going to see, when we get to chapter 20 and 21, there's still some more work to be done, some more uh, allotments to be doled out, and we're going to pick that up in chapter 20, but as I, you know, it just reminds me of a, uh, something I learned when I was, when I was young, I used to like to play baseball, many of you probably did, or at least played it. And so one time I was, I was playing, and I happened to be just watching the ball, the baseball. And it just, for some reason, I couldn't understand why it was getting bigger and bigger. And then it hit me. And I tell that, I tell that little joke just to uh, point out that many times when we're reading uh, a verse in the Scriptures or a passage of the Bible... We can just have an awakening. We can just get that truth that it's trying to teach us. It's been trying to teach us all, all along. And that was kind of what I was thinking of when I was preparing uh, for this message tonight. What I, what I understand is God is a giver. We all know givers and takers, right? But God is definitely a giver. And he demonstrated this by giving them this land. And there's other all kinds of other examples you could find in the Bible. He gave uh, the woman to the man. He gave uh, the gift of salvation to us. And as we uh, get near the 25th of December, we remember that He gave His Son to be born of the Virgin, a gift to the world for our for our love and salvation that we can have a relationship with God through that. So that when you look at what God was doing here in the Book of Joshua, and and what He uh, desired the outcome to be, you know, He was a superintending, of course, all the all the land uh, allotments and everything. But because He gives, He gives, and He gives to us, and He, he is more than we can other otherwise understand. I mean, when we read twenty third Psalm, uh, "My cup overflows" is at the conclusion. I mean, it's just. God is so good, and we are so often, as Romans points out, Romans chapter 1, many times ungrateful and unthankful. So a little little side there, but uh, God is is good. God is a giver, and he demonstrated it here. He's going to continue to do that when we get to chapter 20. Chapter 20 is the cities of refuge. Now, this chapter is only nine verses long. But it's, it demonstrates how concerned God is with justice and righteousness in, in a culture, in a society. Because uh, revenge and lo- is lawlessness. You know, we have laws. And, and you hear frequently politicians say we're a nations of laws and we've got to obey the laws. And, and that's true. Because without law there's anarchy. And definitely, God is a God of order, and He's given us His thoughts on how we should live in the in the Word, and we have to take it to heart. So, the cities of refuge, there's a purpose for them. Innocent life needs to be protected, and back then there were no police forces. There were no uh, everything was settled by the families. So, if someone died in your family. You were expected to, uh, an eye for an eye was the concept. So, let's just uh, go through Joshua chapter 20, the outline. It's really four sections. Uh, The first is the Lord commands Joshua. That's found in verses 1 through 6. And breaking that down, we have the Lord speaks in verse 1. Provision for the manslayer in verses 2 and 3. And then the instructions for the manslayer in verses 4 through 6. The second section is the cities that were designated west of the Jordan in verse 7. And then the cities on the east side of the Jordan in verse 8. That's the third section followed followed by a summary in verse 9. So I had the Hebrew up uh, on the slides. (laughs) A lot of wasted time as it turns out. But uh, maybe I can use them another time. The Hebrew, uh, there there were some interesting things that I found when uh, going through that. And I'm sure you would all appreciate a second-year Hebrew student's translation (laughs) of the Hebrew. But uh, anyway, let's let's go on. I, I found a quote in the Bible Knowledge Commentary by Donald K. Campbell, who did the the passage on on Joshua, and what what he said about the city of refuge, that whole concept, what he said was this. The cities of refuge seem to typify Christ to whom sinners pursued by the avenging law which decrees judgment and death may flee for refuge. Let me read that again. The cities of refuge seem to typify Christ to whom sinners pursued by the avenging law which decrees judgment and death, may flee for refuge. Now this was all optional. If you, were, uh, if you accidentally killed somebody during this time, there were instructions. We're going to go through them. Uh, what you should do. Now if you didn't do it, somebody would be coming after you and, and could take your life. It was, that's how it was. If you got to the cities, they would protect you and there would be a trial before the city elders. So, uh, very uh, astute, I thought, uh, statement about typifying Christ in these cities because we flee to Christ from the wrath of God ourselves. We we deserve judgment. We deserve death. The Wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is... But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you. Mental block. Okay, so let's look at verse 1. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, this is verse 20, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, Designate the cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses. Now that goes back in in Numbers. So this had been out there a long time when they did get in the land that this was going to take place. And so verse 3, that the manslayer who kills any person unintentionally, without premeditation, may flee there and shall become your refuge from the avenger of blood. Now one thing I did notice, and and there's a lot of uh, interesting way that the uh, NASB translators did this, but the word translated avenger in the Hebrew is goel. That's the, the same word used of Boaz in the book of Ruth. So it, it had a double-edged sword kind of usage that, yeah, he, they, it was the redeemer in one sense, but also the avenger in the other, on the other side, which is interesting. And I didn't know that until I, I looked at that, but that is uh, pretty clear that uh, it, it helps to understand these things. Because, like I say, you use a word like that. You don't think of a redeemer as being an agent of, you know, revenge. But that's what it was. So, anyway. uh, Interesting. So, uh, let's go to... And the other part was, uh, it says, killing a living being. And in the Hebrew, that's the, the Hebrew word, living being, nefesh. Nefesh. Uh, used there um, the manslayer that's kind of a unique word too but uh, let's, let's move on in, in verse 4 uh, we read he now this begins the instructions God's made the provision that we're going to have these cities now he's going to give instructions if, if you find yourself in circumstances where <laughs> you need a place of safety uh, here's what you do he says, He will flee to these cities. This is still God speaking here. He will flee to one of these cities and stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and state in the hearing of the elders of that city his case. And They shall take him into the city to them and give him a place and he shall dwell among them. That, that is the second year Hebrew translation. So the manslayer was held there until a trial could be uh, convened and then the truth determined. Now if nobody showed up, after the guy, then he would be released. But uh, if somebody did show up, then they would have a have a, a trial, and evidence would be presented, and uh, the elders of the city of the city of refuge would make a decision. And from what I uh, was trying to or found out, uh, very little uh, material is in the rabbinical literature about these cities actually doing that. Now, we would expect that in the Bible, because why would God want to go by like a newspaper, daily newspaper of events in these cities? That's not his story. He's telling a story of Genesis 3, dealing with the sin problem, how he's going to do it. And that's what he's working on. That's why it's not in the Bible. But there's very little, even extra biblical stuff on these uh, cases brought before the elders of these cities. And that probably isn't really that hard to understand. Okay, so in verse 5, And if he, that is the uh, family of the uh, deceased, pursues him, the avenger of blood, he shall not deliver, or they shall not deliver, the manslayer into his hand, because without knowledge he struck his neighbor and was not hating him beforehand. And uh, it makes sense that if there was any malice demonstrated beforehand, there could be grounds for a murder charge. Against the uh, the manslayer, but if he did not display that, if there was no evidence of of hatred, it was just an accident. Then uh, the elders of the city were not allowed to release the man into the custody of the avenger. And so, one other thing in that that last word translated beforehand, it's an unusual word in the Hebrew, <laughs> and and it kind of has multiple meanings. It, it's it means it can mean three days ago, it can mean the day before yesterday, or even yesterday. But I think the idea is a period of time before the event, and that's what uh, was important in determining and what they would use to determine the innocence of a guy who, be, who had been accused of, of killing somebody, uh, whether it was with malice or not. That word was shilshon. I believe that's how it's pronounced. So no one was be, to be handed over to vigilantes for manslaughter charges. They were to be decided by the city elders, the city of refuge elders, which was an important position if you were uh, living there. That was a, a, a high position that needed a lot of wisdom, a lot of uh, patience and understanding when you, when you have the power of life and death as a judge. Verse 6, he will dwell in that city, that's the manslayer, until he stands before the congregation for judgment, until the death of the high priest in those days. Then he shall return, the manslayer, and go into his city and to his house, to the city from which he fled from. Now, a lot of it was made about why the death of the high priest uh, was the end of the guy's incarceration. Basically, that's what it was. He was supposed to stay within the city, uh, I guess he was fair game if he went out of the city. He could be uh, attacked. But uh, once the high priest died, he was free to go. And uh, the comments I've read is that the purpose of this is basically you have a new priestly administration coming in. Let's clean out the jails and start again. Whether that's true, I don't know, but it makes sense. That there would be, you wouldn't uh, incarcerate an innocent man forever. It had to be some point in time. This is what God chose, how he chose, chose to do it. And so once the, priest, the high priest passed away and a new priest was uh, ordained, then uh, anyone who was in those uh, cities of refuge were free to go back to their own, their own towns. And these were given by God. So, uh, you know, that, take it up with him. That's basically how you have to, to deal with that. Okay, verse seven. Here we read about the city set apart. Now there were six cities of refuge uh, that that they designated. Uh, see verse seven. Then they set apart Kedesh in Galilee, in the hill country of Naphtali, which is in the north. Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, which is basically in the center of, of the land, north to south. It's in about the center. And Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah, which is in the south. And so what's funny, I wish I knew Hebrew better. Uh, it seems to be, there, or there could be, kind of a word play, because the first, uh, the word set apart and the word Kedesh both have the same three Hebrew vowel or Hebrew letter root, which is kind of interesting. There could be something going on there, Kedesh and set apart. I mean, it's kadash, the verb to set something apart, usually of God for divine purpose. And so, anyway, uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and, and as far as uh, the, two, the cities, they're evenly spaced. If, if I had the map up, I could show you they, they're pretty evenly spaced north to south and centrally located east to west. So it would be easy access to get to uh, if you needed to. And it would make sense that Hebron would be one of the cities when I was thinking about this because you have Caleb living there. Who better to be a judge uh, of the people than one of the two oldest uh, citizens of the, of, the, of the nation and the wiseness, the wisdom he had, and the fairness he demonstrated and the zeal for God to do the right thing uh, no matter what the circumstances and the opinion of others around him, he would be the guy you'd want judging your case if you were uh, on trial in one of these cities. Excuse me. Verse 8. And beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho, they gave Bezer in the wilderness on the plain from the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth and Gilead from the tribe of Gad and Golan and Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh so again you have three cities that, uh, on, the, on the eastern side of the Jordan for, for the two and a half tribes that were allotted their territory there and uh, not much to say there there's three on the east, three on the west I, I think it was pretty easily reached no matter where you were in Israel to get to one of them if you had to in fact, I read some commentaries that, that stated that there were roads specifically to them with signage also, if you were unfamiliar with the area. You could still find uh, the city of refuge in that area. So that, that is the six cities. We got uh, Kedesh, uh, Shechem, and Hebron on the west, and Bezer, Ramoth, and Gilead, and yeah, it'll be called Ramoth Gilead, and many times in Samuel, uh, and Bashan, and or Golan in Bashan, uh, are the three on the east. So God provided these cities for uh, ensuring that people weren't put to death that weren't guilty of murder. And in verse uh, 9, we uh, have a summary where we read, These were the cities appointed to all the sons of Israel to the stra- and to the stranger who sojourns among them to flee there. So it wasn't just for the Israelites. If you were a foreigner and you were accused of, of manslaughter or killing someone, you could also flee to these cities and be protected. See, God is fair. He doesn't have prejudices just because you're not an Israelite by birth. God loves us all. And to the stranger who sojourns among them, to flee there all who kill a soul by accident and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stands before the congregation. Now, if the guy was found guilty, yeah, he would be put to death. So uh, that, uh, that wraps up chapter 20. Uh, next time, we're going to get to Chapter twenty-one. Does anybody know what twenty-one is? That is the chapter where they uh, distribute the cities for the Levites, and there are forty-eight cities allotted to the Levites, including Hebron. So, just uh, just a spoiler. That's what we'll look at next time: the cities of of the Levites. Because remember, they, they had they they still had cattle, they still had oxen and sheep, and they needed land, but they weren't given a Portion per se, like the other tribes. Okay, so uh, we'll look at uh, the cities given to the tribe of Levi in chapter 21. And then we'll get to the final, or my favorite chapter, 22, where there's a near civil war breaks out. And uh, I I just think that's such an exciting uh, chapter, especially after all these allotments where it's not really much going on, much action. But we'll get there next time, Lord willing. And uh, just to get back to what I was saying about God is a giver and a giver of good gifts. Uh, Think about that as you're uh, interacting with others, especially this time of year. Uh, People are hurting. People are needy. People are looking, especially if, if they're not a believer, they're looking for something. And we have the words of life to give them. So please make every effort, be sensitive, be aware of, of the opportunities that you will have during this season to share love, the love of God through the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins so that we can have eternal life, not just this year and, and every Christmas, but forever and forever and forever. Let's pray. Father, if uh, anyone in the hearing of my voice has not accepted Christ as their Savior, let them think about that to make that decision now, not later. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, as the Apostle Paul said. And uh, the Philippian jailer came to him asking, What must I do to be saved? And the answer was swift and, and clear. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. So, Father, we just pray that you will open their minds. Uh, We read that the, the, the devil has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see and understand the truth and the beauty and the simplicity of the gospel, that they're sinners, needing a Savior. There's nothing we can do to earn your favor or your grace. It is all done through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Help us to share that message. Help us to make disciples so that uh, you will be glorified, Father. You will be glorified, but help us be a part of your uh, plan of salvation for the unbeliever. Give us opportunities, give us wisdom, give us strength, give us courage. As we learned, uh, really, uh, as you commissioned Joshua to lead the nation, you told him three times, be strong and of good courage. And that's what you're looking for in all of us, Father. Courage to be truthful and faithful to you in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. Father, we just pray your blessing upon this time and give us a safe passage home. Uh, Protect us and watch over us. Continue to uh, bless and provide. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all.